This podcast has language that some people may find offensive. They say you should never go into business with your friends. Imagine you and your best friend had a job where for 20 years, five days a week, three to four hours a day, your job was to sit in a room and talk to your best friend. Would it work out? Would you still be close with that person? This is the story of Opie and Anthony. You're listening to Opie and Anthony. Opie and Anthony. On the virus. Serious XM. There's a lot of words that can be used to describe two of the biggest radio DJs of the late 20th century, Opie and Anthony. Millionaires. Bullies. Idiots. Comedians. Pioneers. Shock jocks. You're checking out the Opie and Anthony show. Hey, thanks for being there, people. They were loud. They were obnoxious. They were in your face. They wouldn't let up. Cares, I'd slip in it and roll around in it. (laughs) I'd rut. I'd rut in her shit. Their career spans more than 20 years in radio. They were the first show, the first radio show, that let you just fuck around. You'd be in the room, Ricky Gervais, 10 fucking people in the room. They were the birth of podcasts, whether they realize it or not. They started out as brothers. (laughs) (laughs) Guess what we did to my teacher today? They ended as enemies. I hate Greg Opie Hughes. Me and Anthony fucking don't like each other whatsoever. And the audience got to listen to it happening, slowly but surely. Holy fuck you, man. I couldn't have gotten there. I was sick. You could have got there. They got on the news. A murder confession on the Opie and Anthony radio show. Many times. Well, it was supposed to be something of a stunt for a local radio station, but it wasn't very funny to New York police. WAAF DJs Opie and Anthony. 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 They got people fired. And they're trying to put a stop to it. What the fuck is your problem, man? They stirred up controversy over and over and over again. The cops stopped a bus promoting a radio show because some of the riders didn't have all of their clothes on. They got fired more than once. They're under fire now for airing joking comments about raping Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. Will they be the next to go? Is radio cleaning house? Relationships were made along the way. I like Jim Norton, man. Patrice is a really funny guy. Is Bobo here? (laughs) Obviously, Amy Schumer is here, and now uh, Louis C.K. has entered the studio. Louis. Rivalries were formed. Shut the fuck up. I'm not kissing your ass now, cunt face. They gave their take on pretty much everything. Divorce. You could be in complete love with somebody. The worst thing you can do is get married. Money. Yeah, it's called America, you dumb motherfucker. Some people make millions, some people make fucking 20 grand. Race. Why do uh, black men walk right in front of your car? Yeah. Everything Hold we on, do that man. white people don't get, Opie, but you're is that confident that, fuck that someone's you. not going to just, you know, take you out? Sex. I want to say this subtly. Uh, so you've had hundreds of dicks. How do I put this? Um... Like, how many dicks have you had in your asshole? Religion. Why is God Why to be a slave to a seven-day work week? Why are fucking religious people such literal uh, I, irritants uh, where they think that 24 hours has to be what God meant by a day instead a day, of realizing it could yeah. have been symbolic? Comedy. I think George Carlin is still uh, relevant. No. I'm not digging on him anymore. Used to be cool, used to be relevant, used to be cutting edge. Entertainment. Godfather 2 was uh, the like greatest uh, sequel ever made. Their audience spanned millions of people around the country. Their reach was unmatched. This is their story. On this podcast, we'll discuss the rise and fall of the two radio DJs who changed the face of radio. This is Shock Jocks, the rise and fall of Opie and Anthony. 
I'm Matt Provenzano. But enough of this palaver. Let's get the show on the road. Episode 1, Gonna Electric Shock OJ. A shock jock is an entertainer who pushes the boundaries of what is considered appropriate for comedy. You'll always have your morning zoos and those talk shows where each guest has a smile on their face while they talk about how to make the perfect healthy breakfast. They have their place. But shock jocks would talk about genocide at 8am. They didn't care, as long as it was shocking and funny. Shock jocks in the 80s and 90s included Petey Green, Bubba the Love Sponge, Man Cow Mueller, Don Imus, and Tom Lakis, among others. When discussing radio, there's one name that immediately shoots to the front of your mind as one of the most successful and influential celebrities of this century. But we'll get to him in another episode. The year is 1994, and one thing is taking the country by storm. Good evening. We begin with the O.J. Simpson murder case tonight, and that's what it is. In Los Angeles this afternoon, the great football legend was charged with murdering his former wife, and a friend. And then came a totally unexpected... O.J. Simpson, running back for the NFL, was on trial for murder. It was a case that took America by storm and was aptly nicknamed the trial of the century. News outlets all saw the potential entertainment in the entire ordeal and would broadcast nothing but O.J. 24-7, discussing what happened in court that day, differing public opinions, interviewing suspects, anything to get more viewers. Those who lived through it remember the trial losing its interest after months of nonstop coverage. In the midst of all of this came a late-night radio music show, The Nighttime Attitude, hosted by Greg Hughes, nicknamed Opie. It's Opie and The Nighttime Attitude, squeeze, of course, and tempted. Sending that out to Sally in Levittown, faithful listener of the program. Opie had been involved in radio for nearly a decade at that point. Anyone in the 90s who lived in Long Island, New York, knew who Opie was. He was the name in Long Island radio at the time. He got the nickname Opie as a child because of his resemblance to the character Opie Taylor from The Andy Griffith Show. Opie knew how to run a radio show, and he knew what listeners would respond to. Wishing to capitalize on the O.J. Simpson craze, for lack of a better term, Opie held a contest for listeners to submit their best song parody based around O.J. and the trial of the century. A band named Rotgut submitted Gonna Electric Shock O.J. in the style of Sitting on the Dock by the Bay. I'm sitting in Los Angeles jail and that judge won't let me post my bill. The band featured two brothers, Joe and Anthony Cumia. Anthony, who was just two years Opie's senior, had zero experience in radio. Up until that point, Anthony's job consisted mainly of installing air conditioning units, a job which he would call knocking tin. Anthony would drive to Manhattan every day and listen to talk radio, hoping to one day be an entertainer and quit his miserable, low-paying job. Anthony wanted out. Whatever big news story happened in the 90s, Anthony and his brother Joe would write a song parody about it and send it out to radio stations hoping to get noticed. He saw Opie's contest as an opportunity. So Anthony and Joe recorded their song parody on a cassette tape, traveled to the studio, and hand-delivered it to Opie. Opie played it on the nighttime attitude the following day. I accidentally stabbed her 36 times And it instantly became a hit. They gone electric shock, OJ Cook my behind like a cherry flambe. Fans demanded the song be played every single night. Opie invited Anthony and his brother Joe in studio in September of 1994. 
Electric Shock OJ. And we got another fine show planned for you guys tonight. Mm -hmm. We got my pals Joe and Anthony from Rotgut live in the Hello. studio. How you doing, man? Good, man. Just in case people don't know who you are yet. Yeah, well, all that. that they are the famous, the, the famous authors of uh, Gun Electric Shock OJ, which mm -hmm. you're going to do live on the show tonight. That's right. And you're going to do other uh, ditties. Yeah, other wacky, kooky stuff, Obi. <laughs> Opie and Anthony instantly hit it off. I'm out of my mind tonight because I got Joe and Anthony from Rotgut, and these guys are you that guys are us. you guys are mental. But, That's right. But he, thanks for stopping on by. I appreciate it. No problem. Anytime. Opie thanked the Kumia brothers for coming on the show, but before they left, Opie had a question for Anthony. Want to come on again next week? Opie wanted to evolve his radio presence into more than just him, and he saw Anthony as a perfect fit. Opie was a straight man who knew which direction to take a radio show. Anthony was just naturally hysterical, and Opie loved what he was doing. So, it turned into a regular thing. Anthony would do Opie's show once a week, then it became twice a week, then three times a week. And lightning was caught. Anthony couldn't be happier. Opie's show was a huge deal to him. Imagine you wanted to become a writer, and Stephen King asked you to co-write his new book with him. A few weeks into this new and exciting thing, Opie invited Anthony over to his house. At this point, Anthony and his wife Jennifer were just barely getting by with money and in their careers. So Anthony was slightly intimidated by this. This feeling was made even stronger when he saw that Opie lived in Northport, Long Island, a pretty wealthy area. But when he pulled up to the address, it wasn't as glamorous as he thought. It was just an old, kind of broken-down sea townhouse. Opie wasn't some billionaire, world-famous disc jockey. Opie and Anthony were the same. Opie told Anthony about how much he loved what Anthony was doing. He loved the direction of the show. He loved the possible partnership with the two of them. He really saw potential in this entire situation. Then they went to a bar and laid out all the groundwork for what would eventually become the Opie and Anthony show. It was a huge turning point in both of their careers. Opie, who already had slight success with the nighttime attitude, could push his career just a bit further and turn his show into a duo. And Anthony, who at this point was just a 35-year-old construction worker who hated his current job, would do anything to be on radio. It was at this bar where Opie told Anthony that he had been sending out tapes of the two of them to other radio stations. He saw the possibility of the show and hoped someone with a budget would pick it up. In March of 1995, six months after meeting for the first time and playing Gonna Electric Shock OJ live on air, Opie and Anthony was formed. And boobs are great. I don't care how old you are, guys like looking at boobs. I'm sorry, ladies. Even gay guys like looking at oh, boobs. Reminds them of mom. Huh? It reminds them of mom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's cool, though. You, you truly feel like part of the scene. Yeah, I was bleeding from the ears. All right, dude, no one wants to hear us talk today. Let's, like, rock. Yeah, man. The job was simple. All they had to do was spin some records, play some music, and crack some jokes in between songs. Opie and Anthony wouldn't do that. They would play music, but they loved talking. Oh, well, we got the micro cassette to work here. <laughs> yeah, double A batteries, micro cassette recorder. Right. All right. And uh, Opie's got a little tape out of his. They uh, would just bullshit for a long time, often scrapping songs so they can get more time to make jokes. The producers didn't approve of this, but they could barely do anything. Whenever given direction, Opie and Anthony would make a joke out of it. They were like the two kids in high school that everybody liked except the teachers. 
Besides, their growing audience was loving it. We just decided, screw it. We're not playing music anymore. We didn't like it. We personally didn't like the music. One day, Anthony and I were driving home together to Long Island and said, you know what? This isn't working. This music that we have to play sucks. We're going to just start talking. Yeah. And that's how it began. They soon came up with one of their first and one of the best promotional stunts in the history of the show. The wow sticker. Kick it off. Whip them out Wednesday today. The season uh, finally upon us. And we couldn't be more excited about it, Anthony. You know, spring is definitely in the air and summer right around the corner when wow makes its debut. Wow, W-O-W stood for Whip Em Out Wednesday. The idea was simple. You purchase a wow bumper sticker, put it on your car, and on Wednesdays, girls who were fans of the show would flash you their boobs. The producers tried very hard to bury the bit, but it didn't work. Works like a charm every single Wednesday. Yeah, it works, and uh, it's, it's, it really helps out in traffic. I think it eliminates road rage. They did cause quite a stir, getting write-ups in the Boston Globe calling them two witless disc jockeys. This sophomoric stunt is the brainchild of two witless disc jockeys, <laughs> Opie and Anthony. Nice. Witless. Who spend the... <laughs> witless. You witless. How the hell did we survive so long being witless, Anthony? Still to this day, the scrawled yellow wow text on the black background are synonymous with Opie and Anthony. The WOW campaign showed just how unethical Opie and Anthony could be as a radio show. But they didn't even scratch the surface with that. They were continuously pushing the envelope from day one. They always had girls come in, and they were always naked. Once they had models come in completely nude, and Opie and Anthony would pour syrup all over them and have them fight with cake and pastries, all while promoting where they bought the food. I think it's fair to say that the Opie and Anthony show, at least in its infancy, focused on borderline sexism. And they knew it. The whole point of the show was to offend. A show like this could never fly today, and maybe that's for the best. Their constant thinking was, how can we shock people? How can we make this show more appalling than yesterday? And if they were on the news or suspended or sitting behind a desk getting yelled at by their boss, they knew they did something right. Case in point, April Fool's Day, 1998. At the time, and still to this day, April Fool's Day in radio was very quaint. Radio DJs didn't go out of their way to try and convince their audience of something that wasn't true. It wasn't like Orson Welles accidentally persuading the audience that Martians were attacking. They would usually report on a meteor that was careening towards the Earth in a tongue-in-cheek way, or they would claim that their station is now playing nothing but Elvis songs. And five minutes later, they would yell, April Fools, and the show would go on as usual. Opie and Anthony wanted to do something different. At the time, the mayor of Boston was Tom Menino. So one morning, Opie called Anthony while he was sleeping. He said to Anthony, I got it. We'll say that the mayor is dead. Anthony agreed. That's right. So do we know what's going on with Mayor Menino yet? No, I haven't gotten any uh, more information than we got earlier. Seems some kind of accident in uh, Florida. In Florida. If anyone has the latest info, could you please give us a call at 931-1AF? We don't have a... uh TV station that we could tune in, but uh, no. supposedly a serious accident in uh, northern Florida. All right. 
They very convincingly stated the news that Mayor Menino had died in a car accident. It started off very tame, as they claimed to not know most of the details. Slowly, they started to reveal more of the fabricated story. He was in a horrible uh, car crash today. No, what happened? Ah, he died. Get out of here. It's going to hit the news at 6 o'clock. You watch. What about this Menino thing? Is that the same thing, too? How could that possibly be a joke as well? Wow. That's a, that would be a very sick joke, dude. Yeah, man. Uh, I don't I, even think me and Anthony are that sick, but you got us on the Pearl Jam. It was a Lincoln Town car. Uh, a female companion, uh, maybe of Cuban descent, unsure of the age, uh, but somewhat young. Uh, also in the car, uh, there's no word on her condition, but the mayor um, has been uh, pronounced dead uh, at the scene. Wow. Where they were going with this is that Mayor Menino was having sex with a Haitian boy and the car crashed, killing them both instantly. They didn't want to just yell April Fools at the same time, like some hokey surprise party. They wanted to intentionally make the story more and more ridiculous, to the point where their audience knew it was a prank. The problem was that their manager came in and stopped the story in the middle, stating, You can't do this. We're getting emails. People think it's true. Channel 4 just had it on the news that you guys are lying about me and Menino. It was on, like, you know how they like, do the lottery numbers? Yeah. It went across the screen like that. Get out of here! Yeah. Are you kidding? No. You're lying! It was scrolling across the bottom of the screen? Yeah. It said that AAF is giving out a false statement about the death of Mayor Menino. Dude, dude, you guys are causing an uproar in the city. Everybody's going nuts thinking he's dead. You guys are the shit, dude. I love you guys. Come on! That is the best joke, dude. To make matters worse, Mayor Menino was on a flight while this whole stunt was taking place. So he was out of contact, leading to his family believing that this is actually true. Opie and Anthony reluctantly pulled the plug on the idea. But that didn't stop national news headlines. It was an April Fool's hoax by two radio disc jockeys. Tonight, those the story spread like wildfire. Opie and Anthony loved attention and the idea of pushing the boundaries of what shock jock radio can do. But this was different. The day after the prank, they came into work as usual. They recorded a show, reflected on what happened and how Mayor Menino responded, and the show ended. They took the elevator downstairs, as they would every day. Only this time, a news crew was waiting for them with cameras and microphones, and immediately began asking questions. They were blindsided. This is the result. You think saying the mayor was dead was crossing the line, though? Uh, yeah. I just wish, I just, I feel bad that the mayor's, you know, wife heard it. Who, yeah. who knew that the mayor's family is fans of the Opie and Anthony show? <laughs> Used to be. <laughs> Honestly, I think it's stupid. I think anyone who uh, listens to our show for the last three years knows what we're all about. We've done pranks like this for the last three years. Think we apologize to the mayor and his family. I am sorry, mayor and family. Seriously. The mayor was furious and demanded they be fired. I will not accept the apology this time because they went too far. I have a great sense of humor and... Uh, uh, but this is uh, more than, uh, this is not a laughing matter at all. The station actually came up with the brilliant idea to let the mayor throw dozens of pies in their face. But he declined, and he stuck to his guns. Fire them. Now the mayor plans to file a complaint with the FCC, and he may even sue the radio station. And it worked. Within a week of the prank, Opie and Anthony were fired from WAAF. This could have been the end of it all, a three-year run of outrageous radio. But little did the company know that Opie and Anthony were already in negotiations with WNEW in New York, 
They shouldn't have been in these meetings while under contract, but the money was hard to turn down. Two months after the April Fool's prank and their firing, Opie and Anthony started a new show in New York at WNEW. Good afternoon. Hey, what's up, bro? How you doing, Opie? Not much. It's Opie and Anthony. And we're back in New York. Here we are. That's right. This is good. 92 degrees in New York today. They were making $145,000 a year, each. There was no stopping them. They were growing larger by the day. Soon, it became the largest radio show in the 18 to 34 male demographic. I, I grew up listening to NEW, legendary station. And, and just to be walking around in, in these hallways the last two weeks and hanging out with Scott Muni and Carol yeah. Miller, it's just been uh, surreal. Scott's got some cool stories he just doesn't tell on the air. The show quickly took on a freak show nature. They would have girls on daily to see what strange talents they can do with their body. They had one girl shove a cell phone in her vagina, then they called it to see if it would ring. And it did. They had a guest who was a whistling tournament champion, and he came in to whistle a song. I know uh, I'm actually the international grand champion. Grand champion? Now, what does that entail? Well, uh, we have a international competition. Opie and Anthony thought the bit was silly, but they knew how to do their own spin on it. Every time they would cue up the song for the whistler to do his thing, Opie would abruptly stop it and claim there were technical difficulties. Steve, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> what the hell's wrong with this? Turn it off and turn it on. And can you turn it off from the back there? I'm doing it. The audience was in on the joke, but Steve the Whistler was not. Whoops. <sighs> yeah, that was. I, I, I apologize. All right. <sighs> well, Steve, I think we're going to have to just take your word for it. <laughs> Where did everyone go? <laughs> What's wrong with you, Ben? Steve, I work with a bunch of lunatics. I'm sorry. I don't know where Anthony went. I don't know where Ben went. They had what they called an assault on the media. To promote themselves, they would ask their fans to hold up signs that say O&A on daily talk shows and news programs. It worked like a charm. Wow. i got to set the record straight. Opie and Anthony started the wow, and it's taken across uh, okay. across the country. A lot of DJs are doing it now. But it started with Opie and Anthony here in, right. uh, in New York. So The fans nicknamed themselves The Pests. This is also when they got that news reporter fired, as I mentioned in the tease in the beginning of the episode. His name was Arthur Chian. In the middle of his report, two of the pests hold up an Opie and Anthony sign and continually shout their names. But it's costing the TA a great deal, about $16 million. Chien turns and addresses them. Stop to it. What the fuck is your problem, man? This made it on air, and he was fired a few hours later. It's pretty hard not to feel bad for the guy, but he's currently a newscaster for Fox 5, so it worked out. But the stunt worked, and Opie and Anthony were getting more and more famous. Susie got some television exposure on Wednesday's Today Show when she suddenly shed her shirt. I wanted to tell the world that I support Opie and Anthony. And for a thousand bucks from Opie and Anthony, the outrageous morning radio jocks at 102.7 in New York. On top of this, Opie and Anthony were great friends. When they weren't on the radio, they were together talking about the radio. An air conditioning unit installer who just wanted to entertain paired up with the biggest radio name in Long Island at the time, who's been doing radio since he was a teenager. It was a match made in heaven. So, where exactly is the fall? (music) 
next time on Shock Jocks. The fighting starts. Me and Anthony have not had a relationship since 1999. That is a fact. A new friend is introduced. Hey, that thing you painted! We look at it! <laughs> oh! What did you paint? And what was supposed to be a small stunt leads into a scandal that makes national headlines. Well, it was supposed to be something of a stunt for a local radio station, but it wasn't very funny to New York police. Shock Jocks was created by me, Matt Provenzano. The music you are hearing was made by Brad Fry. The first part of the theme song is Gang With No Name by Tex-Mex from Director's Cuts. It can be found on ExtremeMusic.com. The second part of the theme song is Don't Stand Alone by Set It Free under Gas Can Music. The album artwork was created by Nick Balsamo. Thanks for listening.